we have since March 2020, you know, been living in, you know, a very strange new world and a very strange reality. Uh, the, the fear of infection and sickness and possible death is, is all around us. Uh, for some, the loss of income or significant or consistent income is a reality for many of us now. Many of us have gone through seasons of isolation from our friends and our loved ones. Uh, there have been the closing of international borders, which have kept people from doing missions work and kept people from seeing their, their family members. You know, these are the, some of the things that we've experienced over these last, you know, 10 months. Uh, we have, you know, all experienced and seen, you know, racially charged social unrest on a national level, and the likes of which we haven't seen in, in, in many generations for most of us. I don't know about here in Nassau County, but in New York City, we experienced you know, government-imposed uh, curfews for the first time in, in, in my life, and I'm not a young person. Um, and we've gone through a very divisive and contentious election season, all within the last 10 months. And just this week, um, you know, mayhem and lawlessness that threatened the, the smooth transition of executive power in a way that hasn't been seen in American history. You know, these are not easy times, um, and I think that if we were honest with ourselves and with those around us, these events and these new realities at times, not all the time, and, and hopefully it's not the, 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 the norm for you, but at times have produced, you know, feelings in many of us that range from the uncertainty about the future, isolation, frustration, indignation at times, sadness, grief boredom, fear, worry, a, a loss of the sense of what our country used to be or, or what it should be. And, you know, so these are all the things that I think have plagued, you know, many of us, and maybe we don't quite open up and, and share about these things, but it's a reality um, in the world and, and also in the church. As we speak about God's people, as we speak about, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, this, this year's events, the past year's events, haven't, um, haven't exactly been good for God's people. Um, as a lay pastor at Norcher Baptist Church, we were constantly assessing and evaluating the, the spiritual life of the church. And uh, what we as the elders have seen and, and, and have recognized that the, the forsaking of the gathering together on a free and regular basis has done great damage to the spiritual lives of, of many individuals and overall the vitality of the church. I, I've never I took it for granted going to church on Sunday. Going to church on Sunday is something I've done since I was nine years old. And when things shut down in, in, in March of last year, to not be able to go to church was so strange and so out of sorts. But what was even stranger and even worse is that as the as that season went on, was the getting used to not going to church. You know, that, that's, that's worse than the, than the not being able to go to church. And, and so, you know, one of the things we, we've discovered is that, you know, real Christian unity is a very fragile commodity. And, you know, it, it's like that thin layer of ice on a beautiful lake in the country someplace that, that in the morning time the sun you know, beams down on it, and it shines bright, and it's just beautiful to see. But Christian unity is very fragile. It can be destroyed very easily, and, and, and these things that we've experienced over this past year 
have brought great division into the church in some congregations. I don't know about here, hopefully not. Uh, as people divide over politics and public policy and, and whether to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, one of the things we've just discovered as, as pastors is that people just don't know how to disagree. You know, you can, you, can, you can have different opinions on things and you can express different opinions, but you have to learn how to disagree. And so in the, in, the, in, the, in the failure to disagree well, division, either division has come about in the church or, or divisions that already existed have been brought to light. So, so in an attempt to bring a word of encouragement in, in these unsettling times or these discouraging times, you know, I thought it might be helpful to take a look at what other believers have, have done and gone through in similar times. Um, in times in which there, in redemptive history, where there was a, a loss of political sovereignty, a loss of national identity, a disconnection from spiritual celebrations and institutions, similar to what we have had gone through for a while, and, and believers who have lived through um, the same kinds of emotions and fears and things that we have gone through, insecurity, worry, frustration, not knowing what the future is going to hold, and all the sadness and grief that comes with that. And so what I want us to take a look at is really the historical context of the first chapter of the book of Daniel. Um, those were very dark days. But before doing that, let us open up in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Father, I thank you, O Lord, this morning for your favor and for your grace for your kindness and for your patience. I thank you, O Lord, that you are indeed a sovereign God who is unchangeable, who is faithful even when we are faithless. I pray, O Lord, that as we look into your word for the purpose of being encouraged, O Lord, that you would be faithful to your word and that indeed that you would lift our spirits up, you would lift our hearts up, and you would do so by showing us the beauty of who you are. Father, I know that you are able to do all these things, and so in advance we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our great God and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. So turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And I've basically broken down the 21 chapters of this book into, you know, four uh, headings, you know, dark days, verses 1 and 2, a new normal, verses 3 to 7, what is left, verse 8, and God's favor remains, verses 9 to 21. One of the things I love about the scriptures is that it anchors us in history, and when you read the first uh, verses of Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's a very specific reference to a point in history. And we believe this to be about 605 BC when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian ruler, um, he were, they were the new power. They were the new kids on the block. They were the ones who controlled the known world at that time in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, they wiped out nations. They came in like a plague and, and destroyed nations. And 
Israel or Judah in particular, what was left of, of national Israel, Judah, just the two tribes to the south, the southern kingdom, um, came under siege. And, and as we, we'll, we'll continue to read and, and just get a flavor of what's happening, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, uh, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So, so here we have the, the context. We have international forces, powerful armies, kingdoms coming against kingdoms, empires coming against a kingdom. We have devastation and destruction. We have war. We have a cessation of the natural order of things in the land of Judah. No more keeping of the Passover, no more keeping of the celebrations. Uh, the, the priests have been removed, the monarchy has been removed. Judah's uh, identity, national identity has been destroyed. Their sovereignty has been taken away from them. And then uh, a, a call and a command to bring the, the, the cream of the crop, the best of the best, out of Judah into Babylon for service to this pagan king. I mean, if there, is a, if there, if there isn't a, a, a parallel to some of the things in which we have experienced, I don't know what is in, in this particular passage. You know, can you imagine, can you put yourself in the mind of, of a parent in Judah seeing your, your, your youth, your teenage boy being taken away, knowing that you're, you'll never see him again, most likely never see him again. Can you imagine what it's like for a teenager to be stripped away from all the institutions that, that, that supported and strengthened you know, his life? Everything that he knew to be uh, good and right and proper has been taken away and he's carried off into a, a foreign land to do what he doesn't know and, and to experience what they don't know. You know, these, these kinds of events produce all the things that, that we're just making reference to in terms of insecurity about the future and even one's own, own health and life. And then the, the story continues. Um, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They, they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. What's interesting about the names is not just to call them something else. His name is Michael, now we're going to call him Bob. These names meant something. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were all Hebrew names that, that reflected some aspect of, of God's character. They were good and godly names. And the, and the names that they were given were, were twists, for in some aspects, a twist on the names that they were originally held. 
and they were now associated with the pagan deities of the Babylonians. So, so can you imagine, you know, you're, you're raised with this, with this um, understanding of even your, yourself and your own personhood. You know, Daniel, God is my judge. You know, El is my judge. Elohim is, is my judge. And, and now you're given this other name of some pagan deity that you would have looked down on several months ago. You know, or Mishael, who is like unto God, is now given a different pagan name. All of these things were, were creating a new reality, you know, for them. And, and so this is, this is the, the kind of things that human beings go through from time to time. And, and, our, and, what, and what they experienced was so much worse, so much more intense than what we've experienced, you know, now. Uh, I've heard it said um, several times in the news. I'm not a news junkie by any means, but I have become a little bit of a news junkie over this, these past couple of days. I, I've heard it said that, you know, the events that took place uh, on Wednesday are the end of, of American democracy or the beginning of the end of American democracy. I, I'm not a political scientist. You know, I'm not a prophet. I can't, I can't say that, you know, for sure. Um, but what I do know that it has created a certain amount of, of, in, of insecurity in us, you know, wondering what is going to happen to our nation, what is happening in, in our nation. Is this, is this the beginning, you know, of the beginning of the end, you know, of the, the kind of republic that we've always had? I don't necessarily believe so. Uh, despite all of what took place, one thing did prevail, is that the, our government got back to the business of governing. You know, so, I mean, if anything, you know, you could say, well, this is the beginning. You know, this was a terrible thing that happened. But, but the system worked the way it was supposed to work. You know, we got back to business. Um, but don't be fooled. You know, just like we talk about the Babylonians and we talk about the ancient Persians and we talk about the Romans, one day someone will open up a history book and they'll say, oh, there used to be a nation called the United States of America. Will this happen in the next 50 years, 100 years, 500 years? I don't know. But human history is what it is. If, we, if the Lord tarries, one day this nation will no longer exist in the form in which it exists now. This is something you know, to keep in mind. So, so, so here we, we, we had you know, the dark days, uh, uh, the, the exile, the, the destruction of, of what was normal for, for Daniel and his friends and, and Judah in verses 1 and 2. We, we see this new normal, these good Jewish boys, fine young men, taken from their homeland, brought to another place, given new names, and now being taught new, a new culture, new language, new ways for service, not to the king of Judah or, or to the real king of Judah or the king of Israel who is God, but to Nebuchadnezzar. This is a new normal and something that they have to accept, something that they cannot change something that they have to move forward with and, and exist in. And, and so we come to the next section. Well, well, what is left? What is left to a true believer when they find themselves in that kind of a situation? And so we see in verses 9 through 21 what is left. And so verses, verse, we read verse 8, but Daniel resolved uh, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. 
For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So, so you would endanger my head with the king. So, so here's the situation. Now Daniel, who has lost all control over, over his geographic location and over his, his practice and his religion, even what he's called, even what his, his, his vocation is, but what he's left with is his own personal piety. He's left with his own sanctification. He's left with his own pursuit of, of holiness and righteousness. That's all that he has left. He will not defile himself with the, with the food given to them. Now, what's the big deal about food? Well, we know from, from the Old Testament law that there are particular foods that the people of Israel were not supposed to eat. It doesn't matter where they found themselves. It didn't matter to Daniel that they were in a new place. This is what they were being given. He could have compromised. He could have said, it's all right. Let me just eat whatever is given me just to survive. He could have considered the entire state of Israel and the state of Judah just to be a failed state, a failed experiment, and let us reinvent things, let us do things you know, differently. But all that he was left with, and this is, this is what I want us to walk away with, one of the things I want us to walk away with is all that he was left with was his own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. He had no control over anything else. He, he couldn't follow the, 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 the rules and the regulations of the law. He couldn't participate in the sacrifices. He couldn't participate in the celebrations of Israel that had been so, so important to them. You know, there's a reference to the, the, the songs of Zion and singing the songs of Zion, and they were asked to sing, you know, by the rivers of Babylon. How can we sing these great songs of celebration, exalting our God when we're so far and removed from him? But all that Daniel and his friends had was their personal righteousness and holiness. What do you do when you can't go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? What do you do when you can't connect and fellowship with, with your other believers to receive the, the encouragement and the strength that we all receive from one another? What do you do in that kind of a circumstance? What do you do when you are isolated from your loved ones? What do you do when you've spent 50 Thanksgivings with your mom and the first Thanksgiving in your life and Christmas in your life you've, you've spent without your, without your mother, without your loved ones. What do you do? All that's left is your personal righteousness and pursuit and relationship with God. And I think that's one of the key things that we need to draw out of this text. And even as we are in whatever state we find ourselves in, that we need to understand is that we have to maintain our relationship with God and to pursue it with, with zeal and with vigor. I don't know what the other men did. We only know about Daniel and, and, and his three friends. Perhaps the other Hebrew boys that were brought out, they didn't, they didn't care. They ate the, the unclean meats and the unclean foods. Um, but Daniel and his friends, they did something different. And so what was left was their personal righteousness. And then what we see is God's favor remaining on them. Verses nine um, to twenty-one. Now we read up to um, we read up to verse up to verse ten. I want to continue. So then, then Daniel, then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our parents and the parents of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And so this is, this is, this is interesting. M- most of us know that when you eat fatty meats and, and other things, you, know, you, you, you stay round and full and plump. And then you look at people who are, who are vegetarians or vegan and stuff like that, and they're, they're just like, you know, where's the body fat you know, on you? And so basically, you know, Daniel and his friends says, just give us vegetables and water, you know, and, and, and we'll be fine. <laughs> like, you know, I, I can't even, you know, me personally, I, I can't even, you know, <laughs> fathom that. I, I, I love my meats. I know me and Steve would, would have a hard time with, with that, you know. Um, Steve Schultz is the only person I know that wraps bacon around what, like, pork and shrimp and, <laughs> and, stuff, like <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, I love it. Um, but, but here you see, um, here you see Daniel doing something different, but it's not Daniel really who's doing it. The hero of this story is not Daniel and his friends and, and their faith. The hero of this story is God, you know, and so you see God's favor remaining on them, you know, and he says, as for those, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so this is one of the things I want us to, to, to see. Like we, we may feel lost. You know, and maybe, maybe the lostness that we feel has very little to do with the things going on outside our homes. You know, very little to do with the politics and the pandemic. And so, you know, for, for some people, this pandemic has been absolutely wonderful, <laughs> you know, for them. I mean, I, I've talked to some friends who said... I love it. I'm working from home. I'm spending more time with my children. I feel more connected to my family than ever. I know personally I spend a whole lot less money. I don't commute as much as I, I was before. I don't spend money on tolls. You know, so in, 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 in many aspects, this, this has been good. But perhaps the lostness that, that some of us feel, there may be things going on in, in, our, in our own personal lives where we see, the, to take a, a, an expression from the this, this same book, the handwriting on the wall, you know, maybe there's a, a major life change that's about to happen in your life. Maybe there's a dear loved one in your life who is, is passing from this world to the next. And, and, and all of the anxiety and, and, and the fear around that, you know, is, is flooding your heart. Or, or, or God forbid, but perhaps there is, there's some failure in your marriage or in the marriage of someone, you know, close to you. And there's going to be this new normal that, that is going to come about. And, and again, the, there's fear and there's anxiety, you know, around those things. And there's what, what happens on the other side of where I am now. You know, that, that's often where we are as human beings. You, you know, we, we can deal with today, but it's, it's the worry about what is going to happen tomorrow or on the other side of this great event that, 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 is, that is about to come, that we see is happening. It, it's, I can only imagine that the slow journey from Judah to Babylon, what's going to happen to us, Daniel? What's going to happen to us, Mishael? What is waiting for us? This was the first wave. Ultimately, Judah was completely destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And, and, and in another wave of, of um, 
of invasion. You know, Judah was done away with. This was, was God's hand at work. But, but, but the, the question is, what's going to happen, you know, to us? Well, well if, we, if, if there are parallels, if there are patterns, if there are things that we can trust in, what we know is going to happen is that first off, we, what we should do is to, is to practice piety and, and pursue righteousness. But what I know happens, because I've experienced this in many seasons of my own life, and I believe the word of God, is that God's favor remains on you. See, see, because if there's anything that you need in life, more than anything else, the thing that you need the most is God's favor, his undeserved grace and favor, him opening up doors for you, him giving you the wisdom and the knowledge that you need, the comfort that you need, the strength that you need, favor in the eyes of others to show you mercy and grace. That's what you need, and that's what you can bank on. That's what you can trust in, because that's the God that we serve. And it says, you know, it says, For these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Well, well that's, that's wonderful. That's great for their resume. But it's even more than just, you know, for their resume. Daniel survived the Babylonian exile. He, did, he survived being under, under the control of Babylonians, and he, he lived until the next mighty nation came in and, and, and swept through and, and took control. How amazing is that, that God preserved this teenager's life for many, many years, and, and, and through him, great service was done. If we were to continue in studying and reading the book of Daniel, there's, a, there's several things that, that would come out of this that we would, that we would understand that I, I, as I was analyzing it, like perhaps we wouldn't have known had Daniel not been taken into exile and had he not been, you know, faithful in, in, in pursuing righteousness and the things that God taught him as a result. I, I want us to look at, um, just turn a few chapters over to Daniel chapter 4. Uh, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar, the king who took him into captivity, you know, has this dream, uh, and it's a dream about things that are going to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's own life because of his, his own, you know, pride and arrogance and how God would humble him. And the whole purpose of all of this is laid out for us in, in a few, in really in a few sentences, really just in, in, in verse 17 that what would happen to this mighty king, Nebuchadnezzar, he would be, you know, he would have his power stripped away from him. He would basically live like an animal for a number of years. And the, the object lesson, if you will, um, the object lesson of all of this is verse 17. The sentence, this thing that is about to happen, is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word of the holy ones is something coming down from heaven to the end, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. That's the point. That was the point of what Nebuchadnezzar went through. Daniel discovered that because Daniel was in the place that God wanted him to be. What am I making reference to? I'm making reference to God's sovereignty. You know, here we are as Reformed people. I'm assuming everybody in here is Reformed. I know what the, the pastors of this church believe to the very core of their beings about God's sovereignty and salvation, God's sovereignty and everything. 
Um, God is a sovereign God. He is in control of all things. God wasn't out of place and out of sorts when Judah fell. He did it. He wanted Judah to fall. He wanted to bring judgment upon his faithless people. He promised them this is going to happen. There was a point in which one of the old prophets told him, stop praying for Judah because I'm not going to save them. I'm going to come through with Nebuchadnezzar, and they're going to experience judgment and destruction. And he carries these boys away. And in this new normal, in this new reality in which they're figuring their way out, in which they're trusting God, they're seeing God's favor, but then God's favor grows and grows and God teaches them things in the same way that he teaches us things in the middle of all of this. And one of the things that that Daniel came away with and has been recorded for us in scripture, now we can go back and look at it, is that our God is a sovereign God. Look a few verses uh, later, in, in, uh, and it's one of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible. Uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 35. Well, actually, I want to read from verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When all the confusion and everything that goes and all the uncertainty of what's going on in our nation and in our individual lives hits us, go back to what these boys found out and discovered and God used and recorded for us and for all generations, understanding that he is in control of all things at all times. Let's, uh, let's take a look at this very same thing said in, different way, in a different way in the New Testament. Turn to Romans chapter 8. And, and, and we know this verse. We love this verse. We, we trot this verse out all the time. And it says, and we know, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That is the New Testament version of, of, of Daniel 4, 34 and 35. Do we believe that? And do we live by it? Do we believe that everything that happens to us happens to us under the control of a sovereign God? And that and even if things seem uncertain and unsure and difficult, that, that we're trusting in the sovereignty of God to guide us through and to bring us through, that everything that happens happens for our good and for the good of those who love him. I, I think that there is a... There is a narrow view of, of Romans 8.28 and a, and a broader view of Romans 8.28. This is what I mean. I believe that we read this and say all things work together for the good of those who loved him or the called according to his purposes. And so we think about all the things that happened to me are, are going to work together for my good. And that, that is not untrue. But I believe that the good for those who love him is, is, is broader than that that there are things that happen to you 
that God is orchestrating and coordinating and sovereignly in control of that work to the good of others who love him, who are called according to his purposes. I mean, do, do, you, do, you, do you see what Daniel went through? Do you see all of the, 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 the destruction and all of the, the new normal and, and all the things that these men went through and what they went through, God orchestrated and worked out for the good of his people. It was important and critical to redemptive history that they go through what they've gone through and that we would receive the book of Daniel and all the riches that are in the book of Daniel, all the things that we've learned about the Most High, all the things that we've learned about the Son of Man, all the things that we've learned about what is to come have happened because Daniel was faithful. He pursued personal righteousness. God's favor was on him, and God used his life for our benefit and for our blessing. Romans 8.28 is a wonderful and a powerful verse that speaks about the sovereignty of God orchestrating things for, the, for his glory and for our good. And it is something that we have to hold on to even when we don't understand the circumstances of our lives. Even when the, the, the tomorrow and what's going to happen tomorrow comes, the, the uncertainty and the insecurity, the worry, when we don't understand, we have to fall back on this. And I know, and I sp I'm preaching to myself, as I, as, I, as I said before, I know that there are so many times when the things that God is working together, I don't see God working in them, and so I complain and I gripe and I get depressed about it and I get dejected by it and I get discouraged by it rather than doing what I should do, which is to go back to, Lord, are you really the sovereign God that, that you preach, that I preach about? Are you really the one who is in control of all of my failings and the failings of those around me, the decisions that people make around me that annoy me, that aggravate me, that frustrate me in my own family and, and, in, and in my workplace and in the nation around me? Are you in control of all of those things? And if so, why can't I rest in you? Why can't I trust you? And that's where my own shortcomings as a, as a man, my own shortcomings as a believer come in. And my encouragement, there's, there's encouragement in this message, but there's also exhortation in this message as well. The encouragement we've seen already, God's favor remains in the midst of everything. But the exhortation is pursue personal righteousness and learn to trust the sovereign God no matter what is going on around you. So I don't want to belabor the point. These are the, the things that are on my heart to share um, this morning. Uh, I hope it has been encouraging and, 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 and instructive for, 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 for many of you. I know it has been for me. Um, I, I needed to be sitting out there listening to someone more eloquent <laughs> and more gifted preaching this message um, because I needed to hear this. Um, and like I said, I engaged in the Word, and the Word gripped my heart. And as I'm encouraging you, I said, Michael, you know, do you trust in the sovereign God? the way that you should. And if you do, why do you complain? Why do you gripe about the things that are going on in your life? Trust in him. He's working all things together, even if not for your own good in this particular way, but for the good of those who are around you. Let us pray. As always, Lord, you have been faithful to us and to your word. Lord, we thank you for whatever encouragement we have received for an abundance amount of encouragement that I pray that we have received from the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these dear saints. 
Lord, I pray that wherever they are in their lives, oh Lord, that wherever, whatever emotions they're going through, whatever uncertainty, whatever doubts, whatever fear, whatever anger they might be feeling, oh Lord, because of circumstances, that they would bring it all to you, oh Lord, and that they would filter their, the experiences of their lives through your word, through your truth, through your character, oh Lord, that, that you would loom greater and brighter and bigger than any of our circumstances, any of our situations, any of our problems, oh Lord, that you would just overwhelm our, our understanding, our perspective on things, oh Lord, and that we would just draw closer and closer to you and look to you and not to what is going on around us. Lord, only you can do these things because we're feeble and we're weak and we're faithless, but Lord, strengthen us, make us strong, make us faithful. All these things we ask in your son's wonderful name. Amen.